Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktena, and today we'll be looking at how changing the perspective we tell our stories from changes their meaning and empowers us rather than holding us back. Every single one of us is like a woven blanket made out of stories. You can feel this when someone gives you a form to fill out. Some items are easy, like your name, but others you'll struggle to narrow down, like the type of work you do, or your education, or even your marital status. Who we are is just not that simple. We're the child of this person and that, the sibling of these, born in this birth order, who get along with these but not with those. We're the one who chose this career because of that, but despite this, who got married at this time for this reason versus that reason, which in hindsight might have been better, and there are this many children or no children. There are grandchildren, but I never see them, or I take care of them full time, or I get to see them once in a while. I've done this with my life, but I've never done anything at all, and I can't seem to shake this while I strive for that and struggle with this while I might succeed at that. We're taught the act of telling stories, which is just explaining things to people or expressing ourselves in communication. What we don't realize is it's also an active practice of manifestation. Each time we tell a story about ourselves, how our mother said we weren't smart and it's turned out to be true or that our father was cold and punitive so we're always living behind a sheet of ice and can't connect, or why we're stuck in a career we hate but our parents told us to go into, or how we can't get over a loss, always have to strive harder to be perfect, or are still dealing with this family member decades after it no longer makes sense. Every time we tell these stories, they come alive. They are not dry and dusty facts taken from the inventory in our brain to be written on a form. They're like a plant, which we've just watered through the retelling. They come alive again, flourish within us, and become the structure we use to manifest our lives. Like a silicone mold, the stories we tell are what we press our raw prana into. Then, when we want to bring something out into the world, we dump out the results which are exactly shaped in the form our stories created for us, for good or for ill. We do the same for manifestation projects, creating facts in our head about every aspect from what options we have, what materials are available, what deadlines have to be met, and so on, setting them up as if they're inevitable, as immutable as physics principles, and something we have to suffer with or through in order to achieve our goal all of which belies the reality that many of these things are completely in our control, our choices we've made, situations we've entered into freely and have solutions other than the ones we work so hard to make the only way I can see to get this done. Most of the time, we do all this without thinking. We fall into, this is just the way it is. This leads to what Martha Beck calls story fondling. Like a rosary or mala beads, each story has its bead, 
and we worry it between our fingers to make sure we and everyone around us knows who and what we are. The story rarely varies, which is part of the point. It's stuck in time, ever gnawing in us, because it is not something we were, but it's what we are. Present tense, currently active, manifesting in this reality, spooling out into the world as we speak. Now, this is great when the stories are uplifting, life-affirming, and supportive. In fact, the role of the storyteller is to remind us of these things. In the winter months when everyone is gathered inside, the storyteller or the chosen elder would tell stories of who we as a people are, what we've experienced, and who each of us can choose to be. There are stories of heroism, right relationship, how to be a good partner, and others of what happens when you ignore the warnings and go too far with something. All of these stories are meant to help us take on a healthy framework for our own personal stories. As we're weaving our narrative, this is the warp and we will move the weft of our choices and experiences through it back and forth, under and over, skipping spaces here, changing colors over there, and create a truly unique fabric for the universe to display. But what happens when the stories are negative? Or when they get stuck and never seem to end? How many of us have a story which seems to repeat in our head over and over since we were young about this person or that situation? It never changes, never gets better, never seems to resolve, but endlessly loops. When people talk about being stuck, often this is where their stuckness is. In the stories, they're living. Throughout each day, things cause them to fondle their stories, reactivating all the issues and manifesting more of what they don't want to do or be thread by thread. Our families, friends, social network, and communities have expectations for us. In fact, this is so common, it's notable when some don't. Of course, there are people who suffer because their parents had no expectations for them throughout their childhood, and so they never learned how to set goals, achieve them, or get any satisfaction from completing something. However, most of us built our identity on a foundation of family and community expectations and then spend a great deal of energy and time as an adult trying to change. Relationships can be a means to relieve the social pressure we're experiencing from those around us or to meet expectations which have been drilled into us through our lives to date. Often, these expectations, or shoulds, are so subliminal, we think of them as just the way things are, or this is what I'm here to do. However, these expectations can be the opposite of what we need or what is best for all concerned. If we simply defy the expectations we're subjected to by others, we end up defining ourselves by them anyway. We develop a life which is not that, instead of letting it be what it is for its own sake. We can't get rid of expectations because, like various parts of human anatomy, everyone has them and everyone will express them, often at the most inappropriate times. It's better to examine them so we're aware of what they are and then can choose what to do about them from a place of balance 
and self-honoring truth. In my experience, the best way to start this is to locate the shoulds. Anything about relationships or life which comes with an I should or it would be good for me if is most likely an expectation which has been bequeathed to us from others. Once you've found one, bring this out into the light and unplug it from any power source. One of the easiest ways to do this is to imagine having some ridiculous character saying it to you. Think of the expectation being told to you by a garden gnome. Or think of Gilbert Gottfried leaving it as a message on your voicemail. Once it's just a thing and not something active and powerful, which is judging us and making us feel incomplete, bad, or unhealthy, we can start to see what part it plays in our relationships. The thing to know about shoulds is they come from outside of us. They're the messages from others about what is considered right or best or normative, and we've been told adjusting ourselves to these norms will have positive effects for us. They're like mass-manufactured clothing, which is advertised as being intrinsically fabulous and therefore able to make us look fabulous if we purchase and wear it. Reality meets the road when we try each piece on. It can be confusing to find we don't look fabulous in a certain piece of clothing and cause us to try and search out what's wrong or even what we've done wrong to cause a non-fabulous outcome. It's only when we realize we've misunderstood the purpose of the clothing that things begin to fall into place. The clothing may or may not be fabulous, but its purpose is to be purchased, not to improve us. The advertising is enticement, not sound advice. To the seller, our looks are secondary and only as important as they cause us to return for more purchases. Shoulds are presented as being for our best and highest good, which improves the likelihood we'll accept and incorporate them into the tapestry of our lives. They're presented as a means to improve our lives, to make things better, as goals to strive for and as a means to give us a happy life. They come across as constructive criticism, which helps to support us in correcting errors, avoiding negative tendencies, and moving in a positive direction. However, most shoulds, if looked at closely, aren't geared to make us better. They've come into being because of the needs of others. They come from cultural sources, which create an ideal body image, family and friends making comments, others joyfully talking about what works for them and can work for you, all messaging what they want, what they need, what they think, how they feel, all asking you to engage to affirm their opinion and meet their needs. This can set us up to participate in self-sabotage because we push our own intuition, our own knowing, and even our truth aside in order to value and problem-solve the expectations, needs, and shoulds of others. We give up our own work and passion to save the failing business of someone important in our lives because we want to help and be a part of the solution. We therefore ignore basic truths such as the business is failing because it's no longer viable, or that its ending is the best outcome for everyone involved. 
or our becoming involved makes us responsible for situations and choices the other person refuses to deal with. So we've become the dumping ground for all the negatives of the situation. Because of things like this, we create stories, phrases, factoids, and PR statements for ourselves and others fashioned to narrow focus on these solutions. We tell ourselves we've tried everything, that this is the only solution left, we aren't this or can't that, so the only way to get a thing done is the hard way, which never works out. It's always been this way, so I'll either have to give up or try something which will make me miserable, and that won't work anyway, and so on, and so on. To remedy all this, I recommend starting by flipping your priority list upside down. We all have priority lists we use to navigate through our day-to-day. And most of them are set up to accommodate the shoulds and expectations of everyone and everything around us. They usually go like this. First is partner, children, and pets. Then work and career. Then extended family and friends. Followed by community commitments. And the last is me. Now, some people might have the top four in a variety of orders as best fits their lifestyle and situation, but guaranteed, the last thing on the list is themselves. We all do this. Otherwise, the term self-care would never have come into being. Flipping this priority list is a bit like magic. So, the number one thing being me, and then community, friends, family, work, career, partner, children, and pets. Instead of you having to spend energy, time, and mental focus on changing the stories you tell, they begin to change on their own. This one simple, radical, earth-shattering, transformative action takes the foundation built by your experience of childhood and cemented through your adult life and makes it a roof. In doing so, it makes it easy to examine, shakes up our familiarity with things, and requires us to problem-solve a new situation we may have little to no experience of. It changes our story. If you're the first priority in everything, then the quote-unquote facts of a situation look amazingly different. What is inside or outside the box can change in an instant. Time spent doing this or the other thing shifts. Where to focus energy swings to something more in harmony with who you are of its own accord. And the words you use automatically will start sounding wrong, catching you off guard, sticking in your throat, and causing you to stop and rethink. If we relinquish our power to others, accept the shoulds at face value and as more important than our own knowing and wisdom, then we'll set goals which don't match what we need, which set us up to fail, which reiterate our inabilities and reconfirm our brokenness. We will once again become an example of all the better luck next time jokes and gain a bit more brokenness for our trouble. If instead we retain our power, see the shoulds which are on offer for what they truly are, 
then we can evaluate them based on their honest value. They aren't intrinsically bad, just not necessarily right for us or not right in the manner they're presented. We can choose how we take them on, if we take them on, or perhaps choose to do none and instead craft our own solutions based on our needs, our desires, our dreams, and what is right for us in this moment. We can gently change our identity from self-sabotager to a world-class architect, crafting the masterpiece which is our life. We can move ourselves away from the mass market values to the unique artistry of the master storyteller, just by allowing ourselves a shift in value or a rearrangement in perspective. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.